If you're feeling anxious in a relationship, do you ask the other person to reassure you? And how often do you ask for this reassurance? Well, people pleasers kind of ask a lot. We fall into this questioning of our partners or significant others, you know, are we okay? Is something wrong? My favorite is, are you mad at me? I mean, I've asked my husband all of those questions at some point, and usually it's when he's in a bad mood and it's worrying me that I've done something to make him feel that way. So, you know, I have to clear it up. I have to make sure I'm not, I'm not responsible. Well, my guest today, Kariah Phillips, is a relationship therapist in Washington State. And she broke down so much about this reassurance seeking in relationships and how it impacts our relationships, especially the other person we're asking. It's a pretty cool conversation. And she also clues us in on whose responsibility it is to help us with our relationship anxiety and our self-worth. And you might, you might guess, but I'll let her tell you. So this was so fun and it was my first time hosting. So enjoy the great conversation with Kariah. Hey, it's Vicki Smith. Welcome to Power to the Pleasers podcast. Want to start doing things on your terms and finally feel confident just being yourself in relationships? Well, you've landed in the right place. Here we break down your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns so you can move from being polite and doing it right to showing up, speaking up, and even laughing it up with people. Not sure it's possible? Well, stick around, friend. I'll show you how. Hey, y'all. Well, it's finally happening. There is a guest today on the podcast. (laughs) I'm pretty excited. And you know, when you guys listen to podcasts and there is a guest and the host is like, oh, I'm so excited to share this with you today. My general response is, yeah, right. You're just trying to get us hyped up. And I'm just sure they're being fake. So I just kind of fast forward through that. But I will tell you, I am actually genuinely excited to have Kariah here today. And I'm stoked to be trying out hosting. So I have to tell you guys a little secret. Kariah and I are friends. So she's going to be my my first guest. And we are going to practice imperfection because, you know, on this podcast, we're all about cutting down on the inner critic. So That's going to be part of the process is just winging it, having fun and hearing what Kariah has to say about people pleasing and perfectionism in relationships. So I don't want to do a formal reading Kariah's bio. I just want to, (laughs) I just want to ask her to introduce herself and Almost like if we were at a party and somebody said, hey, what do you do for work? Hey, what's your story? What do you do for work? So um, I'm turning that over to you now. What is your story and what do you do for work? That's always funny because at a party, I would probably ask myself, "What? how much do I want to tell this person? Because I work as a therapist. And so you get a couple of responses when you're a therapist and you you tell that in a like 
social gathering, either people start telling you their life story or they kind of look at you and, and say something like, oh, so you see all the crazy people or something like that. So what I like to say is I'm a holder of stories and I have a lot of people's stories in my head and I love to hear people's stories. And I think sometimes I even take more clients than I should just because I'm so interested in what people's stories are. And I think that's what makes me interested in relationships because then you get like an overlap of people's stories and how those, those stories come together. I love that. And I also hear all the hosts talk about that too. They're like, oh, I love that answer. But I do like that answer, a holder of stories. And I might borrow that because yeah, when we're sitting with people, it's quite intimate. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think about like all the stories that I have in my head. Like I know people's dogs' names. I know when they got their puppy. I know when their kids were born, like all of these different pieces of, of somebody's life that I carry that. And, and what's interesting, I think as a therapist, Vicki, you know, this, nobody knows all the stories that I have in my head. Nobody knows that like, I'm a keeper of all of those stories. So it is a, it is a, a sacred responsibility and a privilege. Yes, it is. And isn't it amazing? I just have to say this before we get into relationships, but isn't it amazing when you have people come back to you after five years and they say to you, okay, you know, all the people in my life, right? You know, all the players mm -hmm. and like something in a therapist and coach coach's brain will go, I do know these people. Right. And you'll like pull out their file. And then when you start reading their notes or whatever you wrote, you know, when y'all were working together and it's right there again. Right. And so, and I try to tell people, cause I, I, I mean, I have brothers who ask me like, what do you do in therapy? Like, what do you talk about in therapy? And the magic of therapy is to actually be really seen by somebody like so deeply seen so when somebody comes back after a couple of years and they continue on with their story, they already know that you have seen them and you can see them again in their story. The idea of like being witness to somebody's life experience, to their own version of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of coaching or therapy is to be deeply seen. Yeah, you learn some skills and that's really important. And we'll probably talk about some of those things today, but to be really seen and really understood is, is the magic where the magic happens. Right. Right. And, you know, we read all that stuff about Rogerian therapy and positive <laughs> regard. <laughs> and it's like, it's true for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the mm -hmm. relationship. So I'm going to pull out one thing that you said about being seen, because I think for us people pleasers and perfectionists, we are hustling for that, right? Like Brene Brown talks about hustling for approval. And for you, when you are working with people pleasing and perfectionism, especially when it shows up in relationships, what are you seeing? And what are you witnessing when people tell you their story about how it impacts partnerships or working relationships or sibling family relationships, just how do you see that impacting relationships, that desire to be seen and people using people pleasing and perfectionism to do it? Sure. I think, I think you have to go back to, because when there is people pleasing and perfectionism, it comes from being not seen at some point in somebody's life. 
So that could be a childhood situation. That could be what I like to call chronic subtle trauma, where if something is just perpetual in the formative years or even up through young adult years, it could be in relationships, prior relationships, but this idea of not being seen, it, it creates not being important or not being valuable. And so what happens for people is that they turn to relationships a lot of time later in life to try to get that back. And even though it's our, it's our, maybe our parents' responsibility to help us build that, sometimes we don't get that. And so then if we end up looking for that in relationships and we still don't get that PS, you can't get that from somebody else. You have to build that by yourself. It's our parents' responsibility to help us build that, but they don't actually give it to us. They help us build it and we don't build it. Then we have to build it later on in life. But if you don't know that you're supposed to build that, what ends up happening is that you put emphasis on somebody else to provide you with self-worth. And what we see is, and my favorite concept is re, uh, reassurance seeking. So what happens is people are constantly asking in, in a variety of different ways, tell me I'm safe, tell me I'm good enough, tell me I'm capable of being in relationships. And what ends up happening when people are doing reassurance seeking is it creates a whole cascade of other dynamics within a relationship that actually do the opposite of building and continue to perpetuate not being valuable, not being safe, not being capable. So when you get you get a couple and you start to see some of those patterns of this person is trying to get this other person to give them their self-esteem, then you have to go back a little bit and go, okay, where did it not get built? What is it that you're actually not feeling? And what happens for people is um, what you usually see is a lot of apologizing. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You see a lot of over-functioning. So let me do this for you. I need to run faster for you. I need to do more for you. I need to make sure that, and this is a big one. I need to manage your emotions. So I can't have you be sad. I can't have you be mad because if you're sad or mad, then somehow I'm not doing enough for you. You mm -hmm. see that with clingy behavior where maybe I'm texting you all the time or I'm trying to like fish for you to say, I love you or fish mm -hmm. for compliments, things like that. So those are sometimes the like overt behaviors we see. And then we start to see what that's about. I'm trying to get you to give me a sense of being okay. And then where does that come from? Where did I start to feel like I wasn't seen or I wasn't okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's spot on. And that over-functioning and over-responsibility, especially around the other person's emotion, because if the other person is upset and upset can mean anything, right? Just if mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. uncomfortable with that person's mood, then it's going to throw you off at that safe connected place, right? That we talk about with the nervous system is going to be rattled. And so you're just constantly going, is something wrong? Did I do something? Can we talk? Yeah. And yeah, you really let the external decide what's okay, instead of looking to the internal. So if somebody's having a bad day, that's has nothing to do with you, then you either go the clingy route, like, are you okay? Or I'm sorry, if I hurt your feelings, or I'm sorry for being me. Or you go the over-functioning route, like, what can I do for you? Or what can I, what do I need to like, maybe I'm just doing a lot of things. Maybe I'm just like behaviorally increasing my functioning level. And then what happens, especially if that person's emotion state is not related to me, 
they're not necessarily going to change that emotion state. And mm-hmm. so then what does that communicate to me? I'm not doing enough. The more that I do, the better you're going to be. And so I have no internal voice letting me know that things are okay. I have no internal voice mm-hmm. taking account or assessment of my own situation or seeing somebody as a separate entity from me or seeing somebody as being independent of my situation. Everything is like linked to my okayness. Yeah. Yes. So when you were, I really have two questions. One is what do you, what tools, what skills, what do you offer and help the person that is caught in people pleasing or perfectionism? That's one question. And the second one, whether we get to it or not is, you know, being on the other end of, of your partner, your significant other, over-functioning, trying to, you know, make everything all right for you. Like, I'm curious what you hear from the partner of the people pleaser. So yeah, whichever question you like, but those two came up. We can go with tools first. I think one of the biggest things, so I'm a big um, exposure person, exposure therapy person, letting yourself sit with emotions, letting yourself feel it out. And I think I just had um, a recent situation with someone I was working with who had been a big reassurance seeker and her biggest fear was losing the relationship. And so she would constantly, and this was probably two, we've worked together for a while. This was probably like two or three years ago. She would constantly ask her, her person if he was, he was okay with her. Mm-hmm. And he was, a, he was a person of little words. He was much more like a hands-on person, less a, a, a big communicator. And so oftentimes he wouldn't, he'd be like, yeah, we're okay. You know, not give her this like grand response. And so she would get very anxious. And so then she would ask him again or try to ask him in a different way. So we really worked on that. We really worked on like, notice when you're trying to ask for that reassurance and instead try to reassure yourself, try to actually give yourself the evidence that it's okay. So we did things like, has he broken up with you yet? Did he seem to be in a regular mood? Was his bad mood the other day associated with you or did something happen? And there was uh, some really difficult situations in this person's life. And so we really had to work on letting him have his own Mm -hmm. situation and, and be in the emotions, the emotion state that matched his situation without her deciding that it was about the relationship. So we worked on that for a long time and she got a lot better. And recently this um, pair broke up. And so my, you know, worry about her as the therapist, like, oh no, are we going to go back to that? And what was really cool is that she was able to go, this is about him. This is about what he needs. This is about his progression and not hook into I'm not okay, or he didn't like me or whatever. And at this moment, still being able to communicate as friends and not be in this, like, I need you to tell me I'm okay. So I I think it's so important to learn what your individual reassurance seeking behavior is, and then learn how to sit with the desire to do that and practice not and practice seeing that the relationship is still intact, even if you're not getting this information from the person that it is intact. I think the other practice that has to happen is using your voice. So saying your opinion and, and practice gathering the information that the relationship doesn't deteriorate or disintegrate or fall apart. If you say, I would like Mexican for dinner, or I would like to go to the symphony, 
or I know you don't love the symphony, but I would like to go and I would like you to come with me. And that being in a relationship is not about somebody getting their way. And it's actually not about I was thinking the same thing or agreeing on the same thing. It's about collaboration. And I tell my couples that the goal is to recognize that your needs matter, but not that everything is going to be met in exactly the way you want. So couples do well when most of their needs get met most of the time and that the needs are a priority. So if I'm a person who doesn't have needs and I'm just accommodating the other person, then I'm not in collaboration. So to practice saying things like, this is what I need, or this is what I want. And more so to see that the relationship actually improves, that it doesn't fall apart when you say what you need, that your person, especially a person who cares about you, actually wants to know. They actually want to know what you want, even if it's different than what they want. The, the classic example is, you know, well, what do you want for dinner? Well, I don't care. You choose, you know, and then it's like, well, okay, we're going to go to Italian. Well, I was hoping that we could actually not go to Italian this time. Well, why did you say that? Well, because I didn't, I wanted you to choose. Well, if you actually wanted something, you should have said that. Well, I know, but I didn't want to piss you off. Well, why, you know, and it goes back and forth where this, like, if you have a voice and you're in a relationship, that person you chose, they care about you, which hopefully they, and I know there's anomaly situations out right. there, but for the most part, if somebody cares about you, they actually want to know. What people don't understand is that destroys relationships, that if you never say your piece and you're trying to over-accommodate, over-accommodate. And so I choose Italian. I feel like you don't care. I feel like you don't care that you want to be with me. You're just like there for the ride. And okay. so we never get to have this collaboration. So those are the big things is exposure to the emotion of not reassurance seeking and, and letting the evidence build for you that the relationship is still intact and then finding your voice and using it and letting yourself see, and it takes time. It doesn't happen in the moment, but over time, letting yourself see that the relationship also stays intact when you use your voice. Yeah. I mean, the two things that I'm going to pull out from that are the collaboration piece, because I think that kind of hits on that second question I had about like, what is it like for the partners of us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is, it is difficult because we're, we're kind of giving them a lot of responsibility yeah. For, yeah. Our, for our happiness too. Right. Yes. And then we're so good, especially people pleasers at holding this inner resentment and like one thing that I like to work with clients on is if you're having a hard time stating your preference or your opinion, but you're, you know, your person knows you well enough, say, have them give you multiple choice so that you can <laughs> at least practice, practice. one, yeah. yes. right? And saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. and you know, so that both of you can work together. Like that feels like a collaboration, like, Hey, have your partner right. kind of draw you out just a little bit, but there's, there's not something that you have to come up with. So. And in uh, response okay. to your second question and kind of writing on that, that note too, Vicki, is that part of being in a couple is recognizing that you're a human couple. And so <laughs> if you marry a pleaser, or you're in a relationship with a pleaser, you kind of have to know that about them and, and help them. It's not, and I, I say, this is not your work, but this is the act of love that you have for your person that 
you know, telling your person, I actually want to hear your voice. I actually want to hear your opinion, but also not to take responsibility of their happiness. Cause while you're the people pleaser will think that I have to work so hard to get them to give me that sense of self-worth or okayness, the partner often feels like I have to give so much for them to feel okay. And for a lot of couples that they burn out on that at some point. And what happens is they actually move away from the couple. Mm -hmm. So it, your job as a partner of a people pleaser is not to manage the people pleasing. Your job as a people pleaser is to offer opportunities for that person to use their voice and get practice. Yeah. And, and not to internalize it being about you. Like they're not trying to people please you They're That's just the nature of what has happened in their life and the nature of being in relationships. And, and a good, healthy relationship is the laboratory where people can heal from past experiences, past traumas, because that person understands and hopefully loves unconditionally to say, Hey, I'm going to offer you a space to use your voice. And we're going to giggle a little bit when you can't, right. We're going to laugh about it a little bit when you can't, but I'm not going to be the one to like, tell you you're okay. I'm just going to give you the space to practice that yourself. And that's my offering to you is that space. Right. So, you know, I think it's hard, but I think recognizing that we, and and I think we have to always recognize the context in which we operate, not just the content about which we operate. So if I'm in a relationship with somebody who has some insecurities, which is all of us, or has the tendency for people pleasing. I just have to know that and operate in that context. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to solve it. I don't have to change it. I just have to know it and not get caught up in the content of things so that I create more resentment and animosity and whatnot. Cause I can say like, well, you should be different than you are well, yeah, we should all be different than we are in some way, but can I create the space for somebody to practice that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the voice piece is hearing yourself fumble through it, but fumble through it with somebody that you feel safe with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having somebody like, I know my husband would say to me at times, like, what do you think? And I would be so flustered. Right. Right. And, and flooded, right? Flooded. Yes, yes. Either I would do the freeze thing, right? Where I would mm-hmm. just, yep. like I had nothing to give him or I would just kind of rage because yes. it was like, I had all this stuff that I had an opinion about. And you really, you know, you've seen this before, like we're having an argument and they, they bring up all this stuff. It was kind of in that vein of like, it, I flooded him. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it, you know, he used to say to me, because I would just get caught, I'd get caught on a roundabout about something. And like, I would be overanalyze a conversation after I went out with a friend or something like that. And, and he would do a little bit, I think of what you're talking about. He would say, you know, this one particular incident does not represent your entire friendship or something like that. Or he would actually say stuff to me like, well, what did you feel about what she said? you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like, so you're concerned about what her opinion is of you. What about you of her? You know, so he has, has helped me in that way. And I think sometimes that can be the laboratory part of what you were talking about with relationships. It can be such a, 
gift. Yeah, and that's really the love part, right? That's yeah. the love part. When we talk about like, I love you, mm-hmm. you know, and love being a verb, I think in relationships, like love is this active space, like giving somebody the ability to be a human and grow and learn and not expecting. I, I, I think sometimes we get caught up in like, well, I really like this part of you. <laughs> this other part of you is really challenging. Can you just let that part go? And that's really the the love part is to be able to say, Hey, I'm going to give you this space and recognizing like, Oh, my person, Vicki, she struggles and she does this rumination thing and she like over processes. And how do I just either give space to that or go, Hey, like you matter in this situation too. Where's your voice or those little things that say, like, I see you, you know, going back full circle is I see you, I see you in your wrestle. I see you in your difficulty. Yes. And I lo- I still love all of you. I still love all of you. Yeah. And that's, and that's really where the improve, because as a people pleaser, you know, if I know that you're still going to love me, even if I mess up and you, if, if you can see this like human side of me that for years and years and years, I've tried to like cover up that's exposure, right? That's exposure to my humanness. And the more I can sit with that, the more I can sit with that. Right. The better I am about being um, accepting of myself as an actual human being and not trying to do be in this like quest to be perfect, right. but to actually sit in it and see that the relationship is still so beautiful and connected, even mm-hmm. as I'm being a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The piece about, well, I guess I just have to say yes. Yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> Because the discomfort is what we're trying to erase by being this perfect person or this, you know, the kindest person in the room, right? And so best, always the best, right? Always the best. Let me let me just get out of any potential rejection or judgment, right? So if I can sit with the discomfort that I have, that I'm not sure of how you feel about me. And I can work and learn to work with my own emotional, like this, such a therapy term, if if I can regulate and soothe myself and learn to do (laughs) some of that. And then if I recognize through that, I do have a need, a need to sort of come to the surface and then learn to voice that need. Then, I mean, we're, we're rock starring it. Right. I mean, it's like, but if I keep trying to evade and escape my own discomfort and insecurity, then we're going to stay on this. In that cycle. And what happens, as you know, is as soon as I get a little reassurance in that way, <laughs> I do have a relief of the anxiety, but then it comes back full, you know, full fold, whatever, like, and so then I have to, I stay in that cycle. What's really interesting is in that moment where I actually practice being a human being and and not being the best, and then I still have someone there who loves me and is like, you're kind of the best to me, (laughs) so you're not the best, but you're the best to me. What happens is I'm validating the valid, right? I'm validating the valid rather than feeling like chronically invalidated for the thing that I'm pursuing that I can never get to. So in that pursuit of perfectionism, I'm, I'm constantly feeling less than an in invalidated by my surroundings that I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be enough, but to feel like, Hey, I have this voice and my person goes, yeah, I want to hear it. 
and you go, it might not be pretty. And they go, I still want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And you see that importance that you have in that moment. And the the natural inclination is to push it away and go, I'm really not that important. You really don't want to hear it. But to sit in it and let that person be interested, let them care, let them see you, let them let yourself matter. Then we get into a much better cycle over the course of time. And you see the people pleasers become people and not pleasers, right? To become actual people. Yeah. I tell my folks, I'm like, you are a people person. So you already are going to be wanting to connect and interact and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But this people pleasing part of you is leading that connection. So if we can take the pleasing and relax it a little bit, you can still be a people person. Right. All right. So I have one last inquiry or question for you. Perfect. What is one gem that you've learned, whether you're a pleaser or perfectionist about being in relationship? And this can be personal or it can be as your relationship therapist self. You know, I, so it's kind of funny that you asked that because as a therapist, like part of the reason that I probably did this job is because like I said before, I was always interested in people's stories, which is a strength, but it's also a huge weakness because then I want everybody's story and then everybody wants to tell me their story. And then I start to feel, or over the course of time felt like that's my value. My value is listening. My value is not just existing for myself. And so one of the things I've had to learn as, and maybe not your classic people pleaser, but like my value relies in my ability to listen to people is actually doing what we talk about all the time and setting limits and saying like, there is a point where I think even yesterday, somebody said, Hey, are you coming to this thing? And I had eight clients yesterday and I said, no, no, I'm not coming to this thing. And they said, Oh, well, you know, we'll miss you and we'd love to have you or whatever, but that's a limit for me. And I know if I go there, I'm going to have to communicate. I'm going to have to like hold other people's stories, which most of the time is fine. But after holding stories for a day, there's a point where it has to be about me. And I've had to practice that in my later years, because in my early years, I always felt like if this is my gift or my strength, I have to keep giving and I have to keep giving and, and, and I'm good at this. And so people need this. And then there was a point where I was like, I can't, I can't always be the one consuming other people's emotions or consuming other people's stories. So And I will tell you, Vicki, it has taken practice and it has taken practice to sit with the reality that I'm probably disappointing someone. I had a really good friend that went through a divorce one time and he wanted to process a lot with me and I felt um, deep emotions for what he was going through. And there was a point where I had to say that this, I, I had to give some limits to that because it was going on and And he needed to go and use a village instead of just a person to be able to process those things. And that was really painful to him. And I think he was very hurt by it. But at the same time, in order for me to keep doing what I do and to keep the strength that I have as a strength, I have to, I have to use it in limits or else it becomes like my kryptonite, you know, where I'm just like overstretched and overgiving and over listening, which is what I do over listen. Um, so that's that's something that I've had to practice and I'm still practicing and still don't like the feeling that I have when somebody says, hey, 
can I call you and tell you my story? And this, this is usually friends. It's not clients, but usually friends. Hey, can I tell you what's going on? And I have to say, like, not today. That feels not so good sometimes. But I also know that then when I am able to give to that relationship, I have a lot more energy to do so if I'm not letting myself get burnt out and in doing it all the time. Yeah, so hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> it does. I mean, I think about boundaries are like boundaries are everything for us, right? But I mean, not just as people pleasers and perfectionists, right? It's it really does. We really do have to have that gate at the front of our, you know, walkway of our house, right? Yeah. Where like yes. not everyone just can come up the walkway and right. and hang out the in the in the yeah. you know hang out on the driveway. Yeah. yeah. I really have to monitor or protect my energy, um, mm -hmm. my time, my attention, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just sort of join in with you that, yeah, it's, um, it's such a privilege to be able to hear people's stories. And I, I actually just apologized to a friend last night. I'm like, I've been a horrible friend. This was, of course, via text. Because I really wanted to be in her story. I've really wanted to hear how things are going for her because there's been some things that she's been processing around transitions and I haven't been able to be there. And so, you know, I've had that gate with a big chain on it for a while yeah. yep. with some people yeah. and, you know, to restore and then be able to go back out and connect with people in a way that feels uplifting for both right, of us right, right. is really what that friendship is about. So and using your analogy, I think it's so important to know that you open and close and open and close and open and close. And when you leave it open, then at some point you have to close it and do the chains and, and tell everybody no. But when you can do the open and close, then you have that bandwidth to just to keep telling people yes on your terms. Yes. And when, and, and this is what people pleasers have to learn when things, when you are offering on your terms, it feels so good I know. when you are giving and it's on somebody else's terms, it doesn't feel like giving. And that's where we build resentment. So I think that's something I've had to learn over the course of time in being somebody who's so deeply interested in the human condition that I do have a gate and sometimes it needs to be closed and that's okay. And it may close when somebody really needs it to be open, but I promise if I close that gate, I will come back to you yes. with a full open gate. Yes. I love that. Cause I love the term on your terms. <laughs> so yes. And it is much different. It is freely giving rather than having to and ought to an obligation. So yes. I like that. Okay. So we're going to end there. Perfect. And it really has been fun talking because we don't talk enough. That's and true. <laughs> talked to you for a long time. Um, and we did talk a long time before we even we pressed did. record. We did, which was so nice to catch up. Yes. So thank you for offering the relationship perspective to my folks that are doing people pleasing and perfectionism to connect and so here's your shout out moment. How can people find you if they're like, I totally dig what this woman is saying. And I don't want to find more stuff that she's doing because I know you've got some stuff brewing. Yep, I do. Um, have some stuff. <laughs> yes. So tell everybody where they can find you. 
So I, um, I'm a therapist in the Pacific Northwest. My website is for living the good life, <laughs> not the great life, the good life for living the good life.com. I'm a therapist, so I can see people in Washington, but I also teach relationship skills classes and that's for anybody throughout the world, the country, the world. Our next one that we are doing is on April 1st and it is communication for connection. We did this one in, in January and it is backed by some popular demands and people wanted to, us to do it again. And then we will be doing a expectations course. So expectations in the bedroom. We just did one on self-esteem in relationships, which is a lot of overlap with what we talked about today. So if you want some skills to either propel you forward because you're already in some couples counseling or you're an individual that wants to learn a little bit more about how to be more effective in your relationship, or you're the person that's like, I'm never sitting on somebody's couch, but I probably would like to learn a few skills here and there. We are your people. So mm -hmm. And so people can get those past classes, but they can also not, not yet. They can't get the past ones, but we're repeating some of them until okay. we get to a point where we can do recordings. This is all like in the works to do. And so we do a monthly. So every okay. month we have a class. It's usually on a Saturday morning. It may switch to a Friday morning. If we do switch to a Friday morning, we will offer a recording because people have to work and we will do probably some repeats of some of the good ones or the ones that people want us to, to redo. So every month we'll have a two hour class. They are chock full of skills, chock full of things to actually put into practice, not just to sit and listen and hear yeah. our lovely voices, but to actually implement the day of you will, you will find things that you go, Oh, I can do that today. So that's our goal to give people to stuff to do and to help them learn some of these things that even you and I talked about today to implement in their relationships. So cool. for living the good life.com. Okay. And that's also your, um, IG, your Instagram, um, the good life Institute is the name of our business. So that's our Instagram and our Facebook page also. Okay, cool. Thanks so much, Vicki. It I was very fun. I love spending time with you and I'm so glad we hooked up through other channels long ago. All right, everyone. Um, we're saying goodbye to Karaya and we're looking her up for relationship skills, tools, and encouragement. Okay. I'll right, see everybody you. later. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about me and how I work, please go to www.powertothepleasers.com. And if you want to get even more special attention, get on the mailing list. It's not fluff. It's not going to waste your time. It's always intentional and educational. So I'll see you there. Later.